Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women, a podcast that provides a platform for women of all walks of life to share their upbringings, life lessons learned, experiences, and journeys to come. Uncommon Women speaks on topics that can relate to all women. We share, we listen, we laugh, we cry, and we empower each other to be the best uncommon woman that they can be. Ultimately, we are cultivating a global movement of women supporting women. Women supporting entrepreneurship, relationships, self-love, and so much more. We inspire each other to make an impact on this world for the better. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Uncommon Women. Now, finally, grab a seat, get comfortable, and hear from your wonderful host, Shanira and Jenny Lee. Hi, kings and queens. Thank you so much for tuning in to Uncommon Women. I'm Shanira. And I'm Jenny Lee. And today we are kicking off season five. I'm super excited. I missed you guys. Happy New Year to those that are watching in. And I hope everyone's crushing their goals and dreams for the new year. Uh, Without further ado, we have an amazing guest speaker that's going to uh, come on and share her story in regards to, you know, how she struggled with suicide. Uh, Her name is Kezia. She's a 19-year-old high school graduate uh, who struggled with suicide, and she's written... um, several non-published published posts and she also is a mentor for other people that's going through um the struggle of you know being in a dark circle and you know just being a peer for those that may have been um experiencing some depression and feeling feeling like they wanted to commit suicide so thank you so much kezia for coming on today thank Uh, you for having me you're welcome (laughs) so before we get into your testimony today can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you like to do um so other than working (laughs) um I like to paint a lot it's a really good outlet for me um it's a good stress reliever um and I'm very like family based so I spend a lot of time with my family um I've been spending a lot of time with like my niece and nephew um or even um a family friend her name's Kenyon her kids um Shout out that to Kenya. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> shout out, shout out. <laughs> That's good. So you enjoy uh, painting. Is that like your therapeutical uh, time to just like relax and just set the mood for you to be peaceful? Yeah, that and just like journaling and stuff and being able to write out like how I feel and being able, like it helps the process of processing, if that makes sense. I understand, girl. I understand. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and get into um, your story, your testimony. Um, I know you've done uh, other podcasts uh, and shared your story. So we just want you to just open up and uh, just share, you know, what you went through in your life and, you know, how you overcame um, wanting to commit suicide. Um, so for me, it started at a really young age. Um, even before I knew like what depression or what suicide was, um, I was abused. It started when I was about six years old and lasted until I was about 13 or 14. Um, I actually wrote something. Okay. If I can read it. Yeah. I wrote it. Freshman year in high school, and it was when I had my attempt. Um, and it's like, let me find it. It's just like the basis of, um, 
I guess, my story. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you feel comfortable with is fine. Okay, let me... So, okay, I'm just going to start reading it. If okay. you want to stop, you can. Um, okay, so she was six years old when it started. She felt erased because of his words and his hands. He made her invisible in the world of visibility, made it her fault every time he used his hands, made it her fault every time he used his vicious words. She was only six the first time he called her worthless. She hated when he took his pain and gave it to her instead. The thought's too big for her little brain. Seven years old, it only got worse, coming home every day to the abuse. Hit after hit, just praying he'd be done soon. Too young to understand what depression was, but it soon became her best friend. She carried the thoughts with her everywhere she went. No friends, no one to talk to. She was alone, and the only thing she had was the abuse and the depression. Eight years old, she washed, she washed away as she grew. She didn't know what to think anymore. Left to figure out who she was and why she was even here. No memory of when it was okay. No memory of the love she was once given. Age nine, she only, care, she only cared for one thing at this point, and that was her little brother, Sam. She took care of him, and he gave her the best company he could give. Being eight months apart, they were pretty close. The abuse had spread to him, and she tried to help him stand strong. Age 10, it continued, coming home into her room and holding her neck to the wall, wishing he would just end it. All she could remember was pain by the age 11, having to lie at school about the bruises and the scars. She became good at hiding how she felt. It was just another day for her. Putting on a mask was a daily routine to show people that she was okay when she really wasn't. Age 12, she was too tired to fight back anymore. She let him hit her. She let him put his hands around her neck and let him throw her around. She didn't care. She finally spoke up, but she finally spoke up. Not for her, but because she simply didn't care anymore. Seventh grade was when she lost her abuser, her eraser, um, and she made it her fault. Age 13, the memories and the thoughts would leave. She grew up to the words he called her, the words she now called herself. She relieved her pain through the drugs she took and the alcohol she drank. They allowed her to forget, yet put a blade to her paper and tried to make something beautiful. The blood showed through the long sleeve she wore. They either didn't notice or didn't care. Nobody asked about it. Age 14, the thoughts about death increased. People treated her like she wasn't human, more like a freak. She believed them when they told her she didn't matter, when they told her that nobody cared about her. Being raised to feel worthless and being different didn't help. She decided that a bottle of pills would help. As the pills slid down her throat, she believed it was the end. November 7, 2016, she laid on her bed and slowly began to fog. Rushed to the hospital, remembering the sound of sirens. Tears rolled down her face, and the only thing that she could manage to say was that she was sorry. Wow. That's deep. So let's go back into your story. Um, so you were, was it just physical or was it sexual abuse between seven and 12? Um, it was all mental, physical, emotional abuse. It wasn't anything sexual or anything like that. Okay. Um, but with you being abused, that, that made you feel, you know, like you were worthless or, you know, just... Yeah. Uh, doubting who you are as a human being. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So um, just to take it back, the the physical abuse is, I mean, the mental abuse is what caused you to feel like maybe he was right. Is that how 
that what you basically was going through up until you and up until July 2016 was it November November 2016 yeah yeah so a lot of it was mostly his words like the physical I feel like I started using as an outlet to make myself feel better about the mental so I just kind of let him continuously do it um it was more so the mental that got to me and like the fact that someone I cared so much about thought so little towards me was like the main thing that I felt like bothered me and really pushed me over the edge when it came to doing what I did. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when the first time that this all started happening at the age of six, uh, what were you feeling at that moment? What were you really kind of going through at that moment when you're just like, is this even really happening to me? Yeah, see, I feel like I wasn't old enough to really realize that it wasn't okay for him to be hitting me or talking to me the way that he was. So I just kind of thought like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like, this is normal. Okay. Uh, okay. Did, uh, did he like do it? I mean, obviously he did it when no family members were around. So like he took advantage of that. So yeah, like, oh, um, he was very open about it. He did it in front of family too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it like I've, the abuser did it to multiple people in my family. It wasn't necessarily just me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like uh, trauma bonding, I guess. Mm. Okay. That's understandable. Did you ever feel like you were alone and it would just been easier to just end things with your life? A hundred percent. I feel like we all isolated ourselves because we didn't understand necessarily that we were all going through the same thing and we could have been supporting each other. Um, So I really felt like I was drowning um, and felt like I didn't have anybody, even though I knew like people were going through the same thing that I was in the same household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought like, I don't know why, but I always like put it in my head that everybody was just happier without me mm-hmm. because I would take myself out of like situations and I would hear them having a good time or, you know, they'd have like good moments without me. And it's like, well, maybe they'd have more good moments if I just wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can imagine that uh, as a child mm-hmm. thinking those things and you're a little girl, you know, and you're probably, you're trying to, like you said, you had a mask on and trying to be happy around everyone and under, inside you were just dying. Yeah. So I can imagine like the, the more, how mentally it was just like really messing with you at that point because, you know, you wanted to take your life and you just, felt like you were better off knowing that you really were in because the family did love you and want you there. So, and I think when you're young, you just don't comprehend that because the mind is a powerful thing. Yeah. And I feel like negativity stands out a lot more than the positive aspects of things. Like I know we've all had like our good moments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not a normal family. We're a really big family. So I just felt like attention was elsewhere and I always felt like I was the kid that everybody forgot about. Mm. 
And you said that you had to go to school and um, make up stories in regards to the bruises. Did you have any friends that you could actually talk to uh, during this process or were you like really alone? So school wise, I didn't really hang out with anybody. There was like one or two people throughout like elementary school, middle school that I was like close with, but I never felt like I could get close enough to someone to share that side of me. Um, because I always got told that it wasn't okay to talk about it. I always got told that like nobody would listen to me. Nobody would believe me type of thing. Um, so I mostly hung out with my teachers or I did like one or two things with a couple people who I was friends with in elementary school. Okay. And before the big attempt, were you, you said you were um, drinking and like trying other outlets to, you know, fill the void. Is that correct? How did yeah. you, how did you get exposed to that? Or how did you um, go to go through that process? Um, I just kind of put myself in bad situations with bad people, um, people who were already drinking or smoking. So when they had offered it to me and they're like, oh, like, it'll make you feel better. Like, obviously, I'm going to try whatever I can to make myself forget about all of the past trauma and everything that I went through. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's go back into, if you remember, the day that you actually tried it. How did that process go? How did someone find you? Or uh, what was what was going on the day that you actually um, tried to commit suicide? So it was actually a two-day process. Okay. Um, the night before was when I started taking the pills. Um, and I overall had like seven bottles. Um, and just like continuously started taking them throughout the night. Um, I remember we, cause there are like bits and pieces that I don't remember, okay. but in the beginning, um, I remember we were all having like a little family night, um, at home and I remember sitting in the bathroom crying and um, one of my sisters, Abigail was sitting on the other side of the door talking to me. Um, and then she got up and left. And that was when I had made up my mind. I was like, everybody would just be so much happier without me because like, I feel like I'm making it a negative environment because of the way that I feel like I'm putting all this pressure on my family to make me feel better when they shouldn't have to do that. Like that's not fair. Mm -hmm. So I started um, looking at all the pills in our pill cabinet and reading the like damages that it could do to your body if you took too many and all the ones that said like liver damage or may cause death or like heart attacks I started taking and then I remember sitting on the couch and everybody was going to bed and I just laid on the floor and it took everything out of me to like even try to get up um, because of how like dizzy I was and I could just feel myself like slipping away and like starting to black out. Um, 
and I remember like a little voice in the back of my head telling me to get up like you need to get up because you like get up go to bed like you'll wake up tomorrow morning like it'll be okay so I got up and I went to bed and then I woke up the next morning and I crawled into my mom's bed crying telling her that I didn't feel good and that I wanted to stay home so throughout the day she went to work and um it was my sister's birthday um so I wrote her like a little note wishing her happy birthday telling her that I loved her and then Mm -hmm. I finished the rest of the pills from the night before and then everybody got home and um my mom's husband up or now I guess they're married um (laughs) she he ended up calling my mom because I was shaking and crying and he was like there's something really wrong with Kez like she needs to go to the hospital so I remember my mom booking an appointment to urgent care and we were waiting for the appointment to come and I was laying on the couch with her and I was putting I had my head on her lap and then my sister came out and she called me into the room so I went into the room with her and she showed me all of the empty pill bottles and she's like if you don't tell mom I will so she ended up going to the urgent care with us and they were going down each like possibility of what it could be asking me all these questions um and I was having like really bad stomach issues I was shaking really bad like all of this stuff and as you're going down the list Gabby kept looking at mom and as soon as they were like well I don't know what it could be Gabby goes mom can you please step out of the room and then mom it clicks for her and she's like oh I know what's going on and so we ended up telling the doctor and um I remember getting tell them telling me that I need to be like I need to ride in an ambulance because of the situation. So I remember riding in, in the ambulance and I was just crying the whole time. Um, and I remember like laying in bed and they were running all these tests on me and my eyes were swollen. My mom's eyes were swollen. Mm-hmm. And like the only thing that I could like say to her that I felt like would make it at least semi better was that I was sorry. Wow, that's deep. Uh, during that process, what do you have? Are you able to talk to your mom now? But what was she going through at that time? Um, yeah, I'm able to talk to my mom. I've actually gone to her a few times about it recently. Um, but like I before everything, she used to ask me a lot if I was ever suicidal or depressed because she worked in that kind of environment, just working with people who were depressed or suicidal. And I always lied to her and said no. So I always felt like communication wasn't the best on my end because I was scared to tell my mom how I really felt because I wasn't sure she would understand. I mean, that I I think that's kind of understandable because even though she worked in the field and you just felt like, okay, well, she works with these kind of people, but maybe she just doesn't understand me because I'm her kid. Yeah. So, I can, mm-hmm. yeah. so can you share um, any signs from uh, your peer groups of 
people that uh, have experienced depression or may have had suicidal thoughts? I feel like the biggest thing is self-isolation and not only convincing other people, but convincing yourself that you're okay. Um, People who tend to, with what I've seen, who feel like that, they don't communicate. They don't know how to communicate. Um, And it's really hard to personalize with people because you're struggling like yourself to even find who you are as a person. So it's like people go quiet because of it. They just stop. Yeah, they stop talking. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when people stop talking, that's when you kind of have to worry because it's like, are you like, why, why are you not talking? Like, are you good? Like, and it's not even just like one day, it's like a continuum of things. Like everybody talks. Mm -hmm. And once you stop talking, you kind of have to think about, well, why aren't they talking anymore? That makes sense. Where's their voice? That makes sense. You said that you came from a family who, you know, did a lot of family things. And um, most of the time you felt as though, you know, everyone was happy or they would be happy without you. Is there anything that, you know, Gabby or your mom or anyone could have did to maybe um, persuade you to go a different route? Or is it just something that you went through from from the abuse? Um, I don't necessarily think it was just the abuse. It's like a mix of things, like from school or from my peers, um, from family members, because the way that we bond is like we make fun of each other, we'll mess around, like we'll fight. And during like that time, it was really hard for me because of my self-esteem and because of how I felt towards myself for me to actually like go through and listen to like the jokes that they were making about me or um anything like that um but I don't think necessarily they could have said or done anything to change my mind because to an extent like once you have your mind made up your mind is made up Hmm. and I think once yeah sorry (laughs) well no I, I was just gonna say once once I like knew that I was going to do it, I I did it. And I think when, when you get to that point where you want to end up taking your life, I think it's just like from the trauma, from like how long going it has been mm-hmm. for so long. And, you know, obviously the negative thoughts are those come in there and and it, 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 it you get to that point where it's just like you said, you just made up your mind. You're like, well, I don't want to live anymore because I just feel like I don't deserve to be here anymore. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, that's the. I think that's just like all the trauma throughout so many years, and it just finally you get to a point like this is enough. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, it's something that doesn't happen overnight. Do you have like mental flashbacks of what you went through? um through that experience because you're 19 now (laughs) so this was five years ago yeah five or six (laughs) okay i don't yeah um yeah i actually get a lot of flashbacks 
from past trauma and stuff like that. Um, and it wasn't even just that one abuser. Like I've been in a, in abusive relationships. I've, mm-hmm. I've put myself in situations that aren't the best. Um, so it's just like a cycle of things, a cycle yeah. that I feel like I'm never going to get out of. But, um, with like the start of things a hundred percent like I feel like I get flashbacks a lot because of it um I have trouble sleeping because all I have are nightmares um I used to have to sleep with my sisters at night because of it um so it kind of puts me in like this state of mind like this numbness that I feel like I can't get out of when it gets really bad um, and it's really hard for me not to think about doing it again or relapsing or things like that. But like, it's become a thing where once I start feeling like that, I know the things that will get me out. So I put myself in those positive situations to help me be like, okay, well, this is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Like this, like, they're not going to be okay if I leave. Like, I need to be here for them. Like, I need to be here for myself. Like, this is all of the things that I have going for me. This is all of the stuff that I've gone through. And it's like, it would be a waste for me to just leave. And and that's true. I mean, you're beautiful. You have a purpose. You're loved. And when you walk into your purpose, you'll be able to be in a better space in your life where you won't have those thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're going through cycles and getting in um, unhealthy relationships. You don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Yeah. Uh, You just have to bring awareness to yourself that you deserve the best. You know? Yeah. And I feel like it's like a, it's a cycle because once you're raised to believe something, it's really hard to get out of that mindset. (laughs) Yeah. To break it. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there and you're with someone who's telling you all of the stuff that you grew up being told. So it's like, oh, like this is normal. Like it's okay that I'm with this person. It's okay that they're saying all of this. And then you're like, wait, no, it's not. Like you're not allowed to talk Mm -hmm. to me like that. So why are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I totally get it because it's like, you know, how you're raised It's those steps that you have in your thoughts. Like if you're getting if the foundation is broken, you know, if someone else treating you like that outside of your home. it It's kind of like a mental break where it's like, oh, well, it's OK, because I was talking yeah. like this before, but it's not OK. It's it's where you have to break the cycle to to know your stance in regards to who you are. Yeah, but I know exactly. it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a process. Yeah. I'm still struggling with it, but we're getting there. We're going to get through it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I love that. You just took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say, you know, it is a process because, I mean, we've all been there. And it's a process. You just got to take it day by day, you know, and just make sure, like, okay, this is healthy. That's not healthy. This is, yeah. I want to be in a positive environment, not in a negative environment. And I love, and uh, and then my question for you is, have you, uh, are you do you have a mentor or, or do you have a therapist that you can express your emotions now with where, where you won't end up feeling like you can, um, you won't be suicidal again? Um, I don't go to therapy. 
mm-hmm. at all. Um, I struggled really hard with that because okay. it's just me telling a stranger my whole life story and it's like was, it makes me it makes me feel like a narcissist just sitting there talking about myself okay. and all my problems um <laughs> when i have issues or if i'm feeling a certain way or if i'm thinking about relapsing or if i did relapse like i um me and my mom we made like this promise where i'll mm-hmm. call her or okay. i'll call a hotline and talk to them until i'm out of that thought process mm-hmm. um I think the biggest thing is my mom. She is one of the biggest like support systems I've had, um, especially since my last attempt. Um, and she kind of taught me that communicating is good. Communicating is important. I can't be dating douchebags who make me feel like crap. <laughs> no, <mom. laughs> I, I agree with mama. <laughs> exactly. Um, drinking isn't good. Smoking isn't good. Like I need to get myself out of that mindset before I choose to like have fun because it's a really big codependence on certain things that you think will make you feel better, but actually don't. Hmm. Yeah, so she's helped a lot. That's really good. And I'm glad that you and your your mom have a good relationship where you're able to communicate with her now and, you know, not lie. Because it's easier easier to lie so that people don't ask you more questions rather than opening up. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy uh, that you and your mom are able to have a better relationship. Uh, We did have a comment from one of our viewers. It says, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, You're so brave and strong. And um, she also asked a question, have you searched for trauma therapists? I haven't. Um, I've talked to my mom a couple of times about going back to therapy um, and trying again, just because I know that it has a really positive um, benefit on other people. And I've seen it like work in the past. It's just actually taking the step to go forward and do it. I like that. Let's see here. How has things been for you during the pandemic? Because we spoke about, you know, isolation is not always good, Mm -hmm. but how did you go through things when we weren't able to be with other people? Um, COVID was really hard for me just because I felt like I was losing my mind. Um, I feel like a lot of people felt the same weight um, mm-hmm. when it came to that kind of stuff. Um, it was really hard, especially like leaving school um, and not being able to hang out with friends and being um, around like the people who made life worth living for in a mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just me. Like I've seen a lot of other people struggle with it. And I've lost a couple people even um, during COVID because of how hard things are. Wow. Like you feel so alone and so mm-hmm. isolated because you are, but like emotionally, you're not alone. You have people. You just don't feel like you do because you're by yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think, the, like you said, like the pandemic has like, from what I've known, this uh, suicide has been one of the uh, biggest things since the pandemic, where a lot of many have lost their lives. 
And I did a little bit of research on that, and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. Because, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I was depressed myself because I'm like, you know, we're stuck in the house, and we're like, okay, like, what do we do next? So, like, I, I'm, you're so used to being up and about and doing so much, and then all of a sudden you're in the house and don't have no idea what to do with yourself. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's hard because it's like, well, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, I just have to sit here and stare at a computer for eight hours a day and feel better about it. Like, I can't. It's draining. You're stuck. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And in my state, I'm like, I can't go to Walmart anymore. I've been at Walmart every day. I'm so sick of going to Walmart. <laughs> Literally, that's me. <laughs> we, we understand that. I to yeah. <laughs> that was that was my escape route. Walmart. Seriously. Walmart. Yeah. Walmart. yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, is there any if you could well, let me ask you this. because uh, you said you I mean, a lot of people was actually lost. Um family and friends during the pandemic have you ever experienced losing anyone through suicide um yeah actually so and it wasn't just in the pandemic um i lost uh, one of my really good friends my sophomore year in high school um i used to sit next to her and we had like six out of seven classes together and we just so happened to sit next to each other in every single class um she She was just struggling really hard in her relationship, and um, nobody really knew what was going on, Um, so that was really hard for me. Um, And then junior year in high school, I lost um, one of my best friends from middle school, actually, Um, and we both bonded over, like, the depression and all of that. She's actually the one who got me into smoking, which bad habit Uh but um we were really good friends and she was one of the first people that i opened up to about being suicidal and being depressed and all of that stuff so we kind of were a good like support system emotionally to each other um and um it still bothers me because the last conversation we had was an argument so it's like I feel like I wasn't able to communicate with her and tell her how I felt and like show her how much I appreciated her for getting me through the times that she did, whether or not it was through a bad outlet. Um, So that was really hard for me. And then sophomore year, um, I lost a couple more people who were, you know, I, same thing. I grew up with them um, and we were all, pretty close and we all went through similar um, situations and we bonded over it and we all tried to help each other get through it so did they since you guys bonded on that level um was there ever a moment where they spoke about it like you know today is my day I can't do it anymore or it was just like no one knew and it it kind of just happened Yeah, I feel like there were days where I knew that they were bad, but they were also days where we all tried to get them through it and all tried to make them, like, feel better about it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just how it was. 
um, with that group. Um, we all knew what it was like to have a bad day, especially after going through like what we've gone through. So it was, it wasn't necessarily like a surprise when it happened. It was more like you felt like you didn't do enough or say enough to get them to stay. That makes sense. Yeah. I can imagine that you felt that that burden on you. Yeah. You felt like you could have just done something or changed something about it. Yeah. And I, I like, I cried to my mom about a couple of them and I was just like, it's not fair. Like they're being selfish. Like why didn't they think about everything that they were leaving behind? Like mm-hmm. their pain isn't, and this is something my mom said to me right out of West Hills. It was, um, your pain doesn't go away. It just goes to the people around you. So I said that to my mom. I was like, their pain isn't gone. It's just spreading to other people who care about them. Like, why can't they see how hurt everyone is? And it's like, my mom was like, look at what you're saying. Like, <laughs> do you not realize like you did the same thing? Like you don't think about it. Wow. You numb everything out. You blur everything out. You don't think about who cares about you. You don't think about all the good moments in your life or the good people in your life or your support systems. that's true so she just basically made you realize that yourself like hey you know you're saying this to your mom but she's like well you're doing it too like what you're doing is also hurting us so in a way she's telling you like hey you know that's selfish of you as well (laughs) yeah that's that's really cool of your mom mom she's she's very good at calling me out on my she show. Called you out. Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she's great. She's great. But I agree. Like when we're that and that's with any situation. When we're going through mm-hmm. something, we never think about the good things. You know, we're always just focused mm-hmm. on the situation itself or the emotions that you're going through. And that's yeah. great that your mom is able to pull out the good things surrounding you or just bring a different um perspective of life you know and i'm sure that helps that helps you and you can be able to you know help others when you go to your peer groups and things like that as well so that's awesome that's awesome that is awesome and i can agree with that your mommy i don't your mommy's the bomb (laughs) she's great she's great i love her i love her a lot if there is anything that you can assist or help someone that was in your shoes what would you like to share? Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing is just like be aware of your good moments. Um, me and my mom, um, when I was struggling really, really hard, um, it was even just like a few months ago, we did gratitudes um, where you write down three things that you're grateful for every day. And that really helps a lot. Um, understanding like other people's perspectives and keeping an open mind instead of getting that like tunnel vision and I know it's easier said than done Mm -hmm. but like you have to really try to get yourself out of it and want to get yourself out of it in order to do it Um, and just think about like all the positives that you have in your life all the things that you have going for you all the things that you've gone through Um, the biggest thing for me was how many possible like people who could use the help. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a people person. I love helping people. I love doing my part on 
certain things. And so it's like, how many people out there are never going to be able to hear your story because you're gone? Like how many people could have possibly learned from you and gotten better because of you? That's true. That's true. So now I'm going to challenge you since your mom challenged you. What is, <laughs> I'm not going to ask three, but what are two things that you're grateful for? Okay. Can't say um, mom because mom is like already at top. I can't. I'm really thankful for my family and like the relationship that I've been able to build with them after like aftermath wise um, and how they're continuously supporting me and making sure I feel loved and making sure that I have that positive environment um, to be in. Um, and I am very appreciative of the people that I'm choosing to surround myself with now um, just because they give me a different, a different outlook on life and I feel like more and more every day they make me feel better about being alive. Oh, I like that. I love Good that. answers. Amazing. Yes. Um, Kezia, I don't, I don't want to. Kezia, I am so proud of you for being the voice, not only for yourself, but for others that don't have a voice or don't know how to express themselves or don't know how to even speak for themselves at all. Because I know trying to, you know, being depressed and mental health is a very big thing among people. Nobody likes to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about because this is something that's very serious. You know, there so many people take their lives and so many people take their lives, but don't complete it. And then there's consequences behind it. So, and then, you know, you suffer, the family suffers, and everyone's just in pain. So I'm thankful that, you know, you came into our platform to speak on you surviving your own suicide and being able to be a voice to everyone. And thank you again. And we have one question we ask all our guest speakers. What makes you uncommon? Um, see, honestly, I've been thinking about this this whole podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I would say to that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think it's mostly like my outlook now and like the experience that I've gone through. Um, and I don't necessarily think I'm uncommon. I think a lot of people go through the same things. I just have a voice and I have the confidence now to speak my truth and be able to share that to help other people. If that makes sense, I don't know. It's it's your story. You got this, girl. <laughs> so yeah, it's what sense. makes you uncommon, and mm -hmm. that's going to help you walk into your purpose to be able to help others that mm -hmm. don't know how to express themselves or share that they have a mental um, illness or they're just going through something, mm -hmm. you know, that's you know depressed, depressing, you know. So your yeah. voice is what's going to make a difference. And thank you for being vulnerable. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And thank you again for coming on. Thank um, you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Oh, before before we close, we do have another comment. I'm sorry, oh, I just okay. went through the comments. <laughs> we have one from Brooke. She says, Kez, you're doing absolutely amazing. You've grown so much over the past year. 
Um, so I actually went to school with her. She's one of my best friends. <laughs> she's part of my support system. Um, she's helped me a lot um, in the last year, especially um, just getting through like mental and making sure like helping me feel loved and helping me feel like someone wants to be around me and someone wants to spend time with me. Um, she's great. I love Brooke. Shout out to Brooke. Yes. <laughs> you gotta have those you gotta have those bonds with those friends that got your back fully. Exactly. I agree. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Jenny, I cut you off. I just yeah, wanted to make fine. sure we got all the comments. Thank you for tuning in everyone this evening and thank you. Um I'm gonna call you Kay um for coming you're on ready. again and speaking on your story. And I wanna speak on our clothing. Um you have to check out our apparel. Um, you have to go to www.uncommonwomen.net, as well as starting um, this year of season five of 2022. I will be doing awarenesses for this year. Um, I am currently looking for people to come on our platform to speak on anything. If you're if you have a story or if you know someone that has a story, you can uh, reach out to me at uncommon three women at gmail.com as well as i need guest speakers for the month of may uh for the month of May, the awarenesses i am looking for is lupus and mental health as well as for june for blindness and brain awareness july for cleft and psychoma awareness so again if you or anyone has a story and wants to come on and you can reach out to me on the email that i just mentioned um next month um march 1st I will be having someone coming on and be coming on to speak on bleeding disorder. And again, I will be on IG uh, speaking on these awarenesses, um, if I did not mention that in the beginning. And next week, um, we'll be Facebook Live again. And we have someone that will be coming on to speak about uh, the sexual abuse. So make sure you tune in um, Thursday at 8 p.m. and stay on comment. Bye. Bye.